Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, everyone? Pat Zhang here with State of the Nova Nation, presented by VU Hoops. I think I am still defrosting from this weekend here in Pennsylvania uh, from the frigid temperatures and all the snow. I hope everyone affected was able to stay safe from this nor'easter. At least Villanova made us feel good with that game over the weekend. Of course, Nova coming away with a 73-62 to win over St. John's to get back to winning ways at the Federal Pavilion and move to 16-5 and on the season. Before we really get into, you know, the nitty gritty of those games or that game, and then looking forward to the games to come, got a couple programming notes that we're just going to lead things off the bat with here. As you have probably noticed already, my uh, my voice is not Emma's. Emma is not on this show and she will not be on for, for a chunk of February. If you missed it in our last episode towards the end there, we did say that Emma is on Olympic duty for NBC Sports. Of course, that is a phenomenal opportunity and super, super pumped for her. She, her, just, her schedule just doesn't line up with when we would be recording. So uh, it'll be me for most of February. I got you covered. We'll talk through all our Nova stuff as always. And then she'll come back uh, towards the end of February, early March, whenever she's able to. So excited to have her back, but it's going to be me for a little bit. <laughs> also on the programming notes, only one episode this week dropping uh, Tuesday, February 1st, no episode on Thursday. Reasoning for that being, if you've taken a peek at the schedule, uh, the big rematch against Marquette is a 10 p.m. Eastern game uh, for when it tips off. Game's not going to end until after midnight. Obviously, we usually drop those episodes on Thursday morning uh, to refer to our friend uh, at Nova Tip Time. I also have business hours, and it's just it's not feasible for, for me to get that out on Thursday morning. So we'll be back at it a week from today on February 8th, catch you up on everything that happened in the week that was. But all right, with all of that out of the way, we can get into the game. As I said, Nova beating the Red Storm over the weekend at the Pavilion also moved up to 12th in the AP poll that came out on Monday. You know, I know the score, you you see an 11 point win, you say it was probably comfortable. It ballooned up at times, especially towards the end of the first half. I was never truly comfortable in that game. It felt like a game full of stop starts within the game, just consistency uh, was never able to fully ride things out there with Villanova. There were spurts where they hit everything. Uh, There were spurts where they hit nothing. Uh And I think that's really easily told just by looking at the first half, they started one for nine from the fields, you know, only four points to the first seven minutes. And then they blew the Johnnies away with 36 points in the final 13 minutes 
of that half, a 19-2 run really uh, put Nova in front and St. John's had a difficult time to catch up there. Kind of got things broken out in between offense, defense, some specific players. We'll see how long I can stay separated. Uh, I'm sure I will end up intertwining the two. But, you know, I, I thought about starting it off on defense. Excuse me. Let's start on offense because I think you can kind of see some evolution here it, just in the own game, which is great because we've talked about at times this season where Villanova, especially earlier in the season, I felt like things didn't adapt and things didn't evolve and they were caught in one way and they went into a game, uh, you know, with one set plan, whether it be rotation minutes or, or how they were going to attack things on either offense or defense. I feel like we saw things change here uh, and change pretty quickly uh, from the start of that St. John's game. So if you look at things, as I said, Nova started one for nine from the field. Most of those shots were from the interior. Yeah, again, that was more Nova on the, we'll say revitalized offensive game plan where they have been attacking the hoop a lot more often. They started the game attacking the hoop very often, but St. John's made things very, very difficult around the rim. We know they have size Soriano Champagny, you know, on and on there that can make things difficult. What Villanova then did was really, you know, go back to the perimeter, something we had seen earlier in the season, not to great success, but, you know, a, a ton of threes. But what was the difference this time is that they finished nine of 12 from three in the first half, completely blitzing St. John's from the three-point line. Most exciting part about how that really got started were threes from Jordan Longino and Eric Dixon, you know, two guys that you wouldn't exactly think of as three-point specialists were the ones that, that ignited this three-point rally. And then the three-point numbers for everyone else in this half are unsurprisingly really, really good. As I just told you, they went nine of 12. Dixon, one for one. Gillespie, two of two. Moore, two of three. Daniels, two of three. And Longino, two of two, which is very, very promising because while Jordan has been a spark plug on defense, we really haven't seen too much perimeter shooting. So great to see him, you know, make a bit of an impact there. So I found that really interesting about how the three point took off. Of course, it did not follow up in the second half where they were only two of 11 from beyond the arc there. But what I what I really want to look at is that Villanova finished with 73 points, you know, in this game, only 18 of them came in the paint, which earlier in the season would have sounded really normal. But from how they've been lately, it has been a lot more of a concentrated attack underneath. They weren't able to get that done. They evolved. They went to more perimeter shooting. While especially in the second half, things weren't always pretty. They got it done. As I said, the, the three-point shot was not effective in the second half, going two of 11. But they're able to find shots. You know, they were able to find shots and most importantly, they were able to get to the foul line, which is where a lot of their points came from. And I'm about to get into that. And that helped really get them, you know, over the line in, in a game that St. John's was able to keep close and it, it, they were able to keep it close even without getting great impacts from Champagne and Posh, which uh, a part of things I'll get to. I do find that rather impressive. Moving on with the offense, then they went 20 of 24 from the foul line. You know, I, I've brought it up at times during the season. What Villanova does best, what really separates them from the rest of the pack is the free throw shooting. And it's not even just saying that they are the number one free throw shooting team in the country right now, as according to Ken Palmett, I believe about 82 or 83% from the line. 
they're incredibly consistent, you know, it, and it, what it does is it puts a lot of pressure on these other teams, a, to not foul them in situations where a shot, you know, a shooting foul will be called and B to try to be able to keep up with them at the line and, and, you know, not allowing them to, to really pile on to leads or chip away at deficits when the clock is not moving. And, and what St. John's did is the exact opposite where they finished at just eight of 17 is really costly for St. John's leaving those nine points on the board. You know, of course they only lost the game by 11, not saying they would have made all nine of them, but say they go 14 of 17, 13 of 17. We're talking about a much different ball game here. And it, it's always my issue with St. John's is that you look at this team and they are too talented to be where they are right now at 11 and eight. They've got one of the best scores in the entire conference in Champagne. They've got, you know, an electric guard in Posh Alexander is one of the better defenders. Adiwusu so good. Soriano so can make an impact. You know, they have uh, Mathis was very solid for the Red Storm over the weekend. There are pieces here. It just, it feels like they so rarely all gel together. And it feels like they make too many mistakes that whether it be turnovers or fouls or, you know, I know they had the, the flagrant issue in, at against Indiana earlier in the season, which helped lead to them dropping that game. And here it was free throws where they end up just not being able to, to keep a game where it should have been. And, and that's my main problem with St. John's. I've talked about it many times. I really like Mike Anderson. I think he's a very solid coach. I love how he coaches them to defend, but it, I wonder if a part of it is, the struggle of creating a cohesiveness with all the transfers that do come in at St. John's and how much of an impact that is about not being able to fully integrate a culture, uh, you know, from, from when they first get in there, it's hard to bring these transfers in and get them to all play to a single system, but it, it feels like it should be better as I go off on, on my tangent there. Um, you know, to, to really sum that up, Villanova shot a higher percentage from three than St. John's did from the free throw line. And that's just quite simply unacceptable. If you come from the Johnnies, Nova shot 48% from beyond the arc. St. John's finished at 47% from the free throw line. That just, it simply cannot happen under any circumstances. Um, another theme here, you know, that we, we kind of move away from, uh, from this season is, you know, rebounding and how important it has been for Villanova and that they win basically all of their games when they do out rebound the opponent. I know that that trend did finally fall against, I believe it was against Marquette just a couple weeks ago, but Villanova was heavily out rebounded by 10 and still found a way to win in this game. I, I think it's an important that Nova was able to come out with, you know, uh, something like that happening for them here. They're going to play some better rebounding teams uh, in February, something I will get into uh, much more uh, in a little bit. So I, I find that promising. Of course, you can always make the argument that it's easier to grab rebounds when you miss more shots, which is what St. John's did. I mean, St. John's put up 63 field goal attempts compared to Villanova's 48. Again, really going to the importance of free throws. I do not want people to discount how important those free throws are. It is so key to how this Villanova team you know, operates. You're going to hear more about that a little later in this show, it, the guards didn't have as big of an impact on the glass. Caleb Daniels did five, which is what, you know, he seemingly always chips in around that number much more on Caleb coming as well. It's not something I want to focus on 
but it's something that deserves to be brought up because it has been such a theme throughout the season that this Villanova team is actually pretty good on the glass and, and finds a way to win those rebounding margins. They did not against the Johnnies, you know, got out rebounded on the offensive glass by 12. I would be much more concerned about that. Normally St. John just really wasn't able to make, wasn't able to make them pay on it and punish them only four of 21 from beyond the arc uh, where second chance points just weren't coming in droves for St. John's, even though they had so many opportunities, they finished with 15 second chance points on 19 offensive rebounds, not super efficient. Yes. They hurt villain over there, but they did not hurt them as much as they should have. So just something, something to follow. Other thing to follow, if we look at it on a negative side here, I was not overly enthralled with what I saw on the inbounding. Uh, I, it's so funny because we got a question recently about our thoughts on the inbounding and, and how um, our thoughts on it and, and did it stress us out as, as much as it stresses out a lot of people. And my answer was yes in previous years, but I, I felt that the inbounding had been so much better this season that it really wasn't stressing me out too much. I had a lot of PTSD flashbacks in this St. John's game. Uh, the Johnnies did a really nice job at, at making Villanova uncomfortable, trying to trap, whether it be Justin Collin, even Chris Archidiakono, uh, in the backcourt to force some turnovers. Uh, Villanova seemingly got bailed out a couple times. Bailed out's not fully fair because they were fouls, but got helped out would be the better way to uh, to reference it with some fouls when St. John's players would, would tug on, uh, on Villanovans to, to get those fouls, a three, uh, excuse me, a three second, a five second call was called on Brandon Slater. There were multiple opportunities for more five seconds uh, violations to be called there. So, you know, it, that's one of the big negative takeaways I'll say we'll get from this game is that inbounding seemed to rear its ugly head again. It is not something that I think deserves to be focused on yet because we haven't seen it as a reoccurring issue. I am much more concerned about consistency, which we've seen throughout many different stretches for Nova throughout the season as a struggle than I am with inbounding, but it did have to be mentioned there. And then finally, one, one more thing on the offense, and or I guess it's not even fully offense, but one more thing to look out here that would be in the negative side of things. Closing was an issue again, and it's so frustrating. I know we reference closing all the time, and really the struggles that this Villanova team has had. Brendan Riley wrote that a fantastic article on VU Hoops about it. St. John's outscored Villanova by 6, 24 to 18 in the final 10 minutes of that game. It, it didn't feel like for me, at least I didn't feel a, a ton of urgency down the stretch. I think St. John's was kind of able to capitalize on that and, and force Villanova into some poor plays. Of course, it didn't end up burning them still coming away with an 11 point win. And what they did is they blew uh, St. John's way in that final 10 minutes of the first half as referenced before, but it has popped up way too much that it, it still makes me uncomfortable. Even in a game that Villanova won by 11, to say that down the stretch, you know, things were not clean and not as clean as they should have been. And especially as the schedule starts to really tighten up and as they play against some of the stronger teams here in the Big East, it's something that we know is going to be front and center for Ken Villanova close these games out when they have a lead. That's most of the stuff I wanted to look at on offense. We'll move to defense before I go kind of player specific and on the bench uh, defensively. You know, I kind of talked through a mixed bag on offense defensively. I was really happy with what I saw from Villanova. What they did very strongly was they neutralized St. John's ability to play on the fast break. 
they Villanova actually outscored the Johnnies on fast break seven to six. We know Nova really doesn't push the pace. We know they usually don't look to, to try and run in transition, but we also know St. John's loves to. So holding them to just six points is a huge, huge win. Um, for the cats. I, I was very, very impressed by that. And it showed that Nova does have the ability to exert their wet, their will in these tempo wars, we'll call it where St. John's of course runs so much more up tempo. We all know Villanova has one of the slowest temples in the entire country. They can kind of grasp games the way they wanted to and force teams to play that way. And I find a exact correlation that while they were able to do that, they were able to then take advantage of St. John's and finish this game out. Well, they struggled against, say, a Creighton uh, earlier, you know, in, in December when they just ran all over them. So controlling tempo, something Villanova did very well, obviously threw St. John's off their game and wasn't able to run in transition too often. The major things, of course, that stare you in the face when you look at Villanova's defensive um, performance out there over the weekend is that Julian Champagny went four of 12 over four from beyond the arc for just nine points. Posh Alexander, just two for eight, seven points. That is a combined six for 20 out of St. John's two best offensive players. Champagny averaging about 20 points a game. Posh is at about 15 points a game. So to hold them to nine and seven respectively is really, really impressive. I have to say, I thought Justin Moore, again, did a, a wonderful job on defense. He definitely had the most explosive play of the game on defense when he came back with that track down block, I believe it was, in the second half. Uh, Champagny, it really, he wasn't able to get open looks, especially around the perimeter. He was able to drive and get a couple you know, decent shots off uh, around the paint, but Nova did an awesome job at limiting space for him, and especially when St. John's were showing that they weren't going to really have another player step up to come in and, and try to take over that scoring because Adewusu did not have his best game, as I, I did say earlier. I know Mathis did play you know, decently well, but no one was able to really overcome that and, and bring up that production for the Johnnies. And then and them as a whole, they're averaging 79 points per game. So to be able to hold them to just 62, where most of those points did come late, I write that off as another big win as this, this Villanova team, you know, we had it in that conversation with Alan Ray, you know, defense for successful Villanova teams, defense is at the heart of it. And I can't tell you how many times Emma and I have talked this season about how impressed we have been with Villanova's defense and, and how vital it's been for them to be in this position where they're now sitting there at 16 and five and being able to hold a, a you know, a, a team that can certainly hurt you on offense like a St. John's to just 62 points, why it can hold, you know, a, a team like Xavier to, to 60 or Creighton to 41 earlier in the season. There have been multiple performances now where we have seen Nova be able to really put a stranglehold on some talented offensive teams. I mean, just think of Tennessee was down 53 points. Tennessee's a damn good basketball team this year. So I, I continue to be impressed with what I see from Nova on defense. Yes, they also caught Julian Champagny and you know, one of the worst stretches we've kind of ever seen him in because he's such a stud. Uh, I believe he's in single digits now. It's three or four straight games uh, from Champagny. He's nine for his last 36 from the field. Of course, that helps, but I, I do think Nova played very, very well on that side of the ball. We'll move on to players then. Just let me get a quick drink here. Not used to doing solo, so <laughs> voice voice is getting up to it. But 
if we have to pick out one guy, I think Colin Gillespie is the easiest one, but I'm not going to start with him. We'll get to him in a second. I really do want to put the shine here on Caleb Daniels. And I especially want to put the shine here on Caleb Daniels because of how we started the season with Caleb. I think we can all remember just a couple months ago, Caleb Daniels, we say, you know, you didn't really know what you were going to get from him. There were a lot of inconsistent performances, wasn't able to really get into any sort of a shooting groove. There were the turnovers, there were the fouls, you know, it was, there was a lot of negativity surrounding him. We certainly asked questions that needed to be asked, all things of that nature, especially in the month of January. And you can probably extrapolate that out a a little longer. Caleb Daniels has been so, so important and such a key cog into how Villanova has been able to go on this run and finish out this eight and one January because of the impact that he's able to Yes, He brings scoring off the bench, but he does so many things, you know, well enough and especially has stepped in while guys like Slater and Samuels have had off months. He has stepped in and only grown into his role. And I've been really, really impressed by that. Probably had his best game of the month here against St. John's. 15 points, shot 50% from the field, three of five from beyond the arc. I don't love to go to plus minus because I think that it can often be cherry picked and isn't always fair for a player, though I do think there are certainly times where it is fair to go to it. If you want to look at your plus minus leader from Villanova in that game, it was Caleb Daniels at plus 19. So don't know how much stock you want to put into it. If you're looking at those numbers more, the second best plus minus on the team for over the weekend was Jordan Longino actually at 12 and Brandon Slater at 10. So not exactly where you would think a part of it, of course, goes into how many minutes each guy plays. So many things go into plus minus, which is why it's not a perfect stat, but it's certainly worth mentioning. And I have been super impressed with Caleb. I wonder about the role he's going to continue to play here as, you know, Jermaine Samuels continues to struggle. I don't need to go fully in on him. We know Slater's not adding as much scoring wise, but you know, it, it does beg the question. How many minutes is Caleb Daniels going to play on on a nightly basis? He played 29 on Saturday, more so than Samuels, you know, way more than Dixon. Uh, It it was a lot of minutes for him. So uh, that's something I'll be following, especially uh, through these next couple games. Let's play a quick, quick little game here. Uh, If you think back to Saturday's game, who would you have guessed was the minutes leader for Villanova out there? And if you know, don't cheat. But, you know, for, for people that don't know, just think about it for a second. And I'll fill you in then. The minutes leader for Villanova was actually Brandon Slater. And I think that really, really shocked me because when we think about what this past month has been for Brandon Slater, the ankle has very, very clearly hampered him. He hasn't been able to get into any sort of a scoring rhythm. I I feel like he had five points is the most points we've seen from him in a while. I usually have the game logs up. I do not have it up for him right now, but he's mostly been maxing out at three. I don't even really care as much about the offensive output in this game. What I do care about, and I wasn't even thinking this uh, when I saw the minutes leader, this was before I had seen that. I thought his ankle looked the best we've seen from Brandon Slater in a while. Uh, He was cutting very, very well. The movement was strong. He was getting to the basket more. It wasn't just, you know, kind of passing around the three-point line, which is what a lot of Slater on offenses has been. And I think that's super promising. And while this isn't your early season Brandon Slater that was lighting up games and and dunking over people and, and everything that we love Slate and what he has grown into, 
it was a very, very promising sign against a very, very active team that is difficult to guard, moves around a ton, runs at a big tempo. You would think that this would be a very, very difficult, I've said very, very too many times, but uh, an incredibly difficult opponent for someone with an injured ankle to really match up against see Brian Antoine not playing in this game. But Slate went out there and I thought he played pretty well, and at least he moved pretty well, and that's really key. And that's all I wanted to focus on for him. And we'll see if that health really does start to get back. And if we start to see more of the early season, Brandon Slater in terms of impact and how much he is able to affect these games, I've probably put him off for too long at this point, but Colin Gillespie, 17 points led the way there. Most interestingly, at least for me, uh, he tied the lowest amount of field goal attempts he had taken this season with just seven. Uh, You know, it, that really jumps off the page at you for Gillespie. He averages around 12 a game. And yet with all that said, he was still able to find a way to lead the team in scoring, put up 17 points. And I thought played pretty well on defense as well. It's Colin Gillespie. What more do you want me to say at this point? You know, this is a very pro Gillespie podcast. Uh, It happened again. I'm so impressed. The seven that he put up, as I said, lowest amount of field goals, this season actually ties it. I believe he also had seven against Butler where he didn't play that many minutes because it was just a, a barnstorming and also seven against Baylor and one of the best defensive performances where they very clearly locked in on Gillespie. We had seen two more specific players here before I get to the overall theme of the bench and then keep things moving. Uh, Justin Moore, it was not Moore's night or not Moore's uh, late afternoon. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, just three of 10. As I said, I thought defensively, he did make a big impact, especially on Champagny. So in that way, it was a strong game. He still ended up leading the team in assists, but only 30% from the field, three of 10, was never able to get into a full scoring rhythm. And most disappointingly for me, someone who is all about Justin Moore and a, and a huge Justin Moore fan, you know, was hoping he'd get to 10 points because 10 points would have put him at 1,000 for the career. He finished at eight, so something to watch for Wednesday night. Justin Moore, two points away from 1,000 points in his Villanova career. And one more, I saved him for last specifically because it's just, I'm so impressed with this guy. Eric Dixon, 15 points. Uh, you know, a, a very, very efficient day for him. As I said, how important he was to sparking everything with the three that he made early on against St. John's when nothing seemed to be falling. Three fouls certainly limited his playing time in the first half where he sat for a long time because he did have two first half fouls. Uh, but four or five from the field, six of six from the free throw line. Uh, he's just turned into one of the more reliable foul shooters on this team. And all of that said, he did so in just 17 minutes. It's as efficient as it gets. It's as productive as it gets. Eric Dixon, another very, very solid game. We'll hit one more kind of overall theme here before we start to move into some previews and and everything else of that nature. We'll go to the bench because, of course, have to talk about the bench especially with Brian Antoine being out. So th- this could have been a super tricky game for Villanova with Brian Antoine out. He did roll his ankle on practice in practice on Saturday. You know, was we weren't sure if he was going to be able to play uh, late on Saturday there. And of course, he ended up not playing. So w- we look at the bench. And as I said, Caleb Daniels logged a ton of minutes at 29. Jordan Longino put in 19, which was the second most minutes we've seen from him uh, this season. He did an, I personally thought he did an excellent job. You know, we talked about how he did 
break through with some perimeter shooting defensively. He seems to always do a, a strong job. Uh, one steal for him in this game, always active on defense, always moving around, you know, seems to be in the right positions, has solid closing speed. I think that's what really sticks in Jay and the coaching staff's mind. And it's why he has really helped earn those minutes out there. And now you got to see a little bit of the plus side too, a little bit of the fun side, we'll say where he was able to contribute on the offensive side of the ball, just a game ago, you know, we had seen him driving a little bit too. So maybe you're seeing a little more assertiveness from Longino. Uh, certainly exciting to see. And, you know, he's, listen, he's earned this role. It's, it's as simple as that. Further on in the bench, Chris Archidiakono logged 13 minutes in this game. You know, I, th- it must have been a bit of a tough ask for him. He hadn't played over 10 minutes since the beatdown of Creighton uh, at the Finn in the rematch. He had only logged nine minutes over the last four games, you know, has definitely seen his rotation time phased out over the past couple weeks. I do think that he is more of a, a ninth or 10th man, uh, you know, a conversation that has been had with, with the full 40 a couple times than being locked into that bench rotation of kind of eight. I, I feel more comfortable with him being on the outside. We know about, you know, his limitations. He was able to add five points uh, which of course it is key for coming off the bench. Uh, of course, he spelled guys as well in those 13 minutes. He did what Arch does. He did not turn the ball over uh, during that game. As I said, we know the limitations, only a 20% shooter it can struggle on defense, it, he, but he played a role. He helped them close this game out. I'll say, um, and we'll, we'll go from there. But of course, Brian Antoine's health is going to be really really important to this team because the eight that they were rolling with before, you know, with Caleb Daniels, of course, being the guy with Longino and Antoine then coming in, I feel really good about that. And and I think they can make some noise with that as an eight. I struggle a little bit more when it goes down to seven and then asking Chris to play extended minutes here, just knowing, you know, the, the type of player that he is. And for Brian Antoine, I, I think you just feel terrible. The, the poor guy can't seem to catch a break with injuries. Um, uh, you hope that he can, he can recover soon because we had finally just last Thursday talked about, could this be a turning point for Brian Antoine and seeing the explosiveness and the assertiveness and all those things. And then uh, of course gets injured in practice later in that week. So hopefully it's a speedy recovery for Brian. I know we're all rooting to see him out there uh, to continue to expand this bench. And finally, last part of the bench, talking about Trey Patterson. He got into the game, and while some of you may laugh at me for saying that as a point here, it is important, especially for a guy that has had so many DNPs you know, throughout the season. I really believe that a strong performance last time out uh, did play into the coaching staff's mind where he was you know, all over the floor. He grabbed a couple of the offensive rebounds. Of course, he had the up and under. thought the effort was really there, and, and he deserved to go out there. So I, I was excited to see Trey. I know it was for two minutes of game time, but especially where he is right now, it's important to even, you know, get out there on the floor and be able to start earning those minutes and start earning that trust. So that, that kind of does it for my wrap of the St. John's game. Uh, overall, if we look at things as well, Villanova finished with an eight and one January uh, to, to close things out here as we move into February with wins over Seton Hall, Creighton, DePaul, Xavier, Butler, Georgetown, DePaul, and St. John's. But the big part about that is that the warm-up is now over, and that is no disrespect to Xavier or Seton Hall. Uh, all but one game they play in February are against top 85 Ken Palm opponents. Take out Georgetown, and they're all top 50 opponents. 
It's three home games. It's four road games. It's Marquette. It's UConn, St. John, Seton Hall, Providence, the Georgetown game, and UConn again. The Big East is regular season, at least, is going to be won in February, and it is going to be an absolute grind here. If Villanova wants to come away with this thing, you know, they have the opportunity to, you can't even say create some space because you've got teams like Marquette and like Providence that continue to win. UConn only has two conference losses. They're just a little bit behind the slate with with COVID postponements and and such uh, in terms of wins. It's going to be such a brutal, brutal month. Well, yes, January was a very successful month. It normally is for Villanova. I, I went back and looked you know, over the last three seasons, just uh, three games were played in January of last year because Villanova had their own COVID pause um, in 2021. Um, they were all wins. They went seven and one in January of 2020, right before the world turned and eight and oh in 2019. So Nova usually comes out firing um, in the new year. They did again, of course, with eight and one. But as I said, things are going to change real, real fast with the quality of opponents. And this is a big week for it because it's Marquette on Wednesday night and then UConn over the weekend. But well, because we're only giving you one or I'm only giving you one episode this week, I'm going to break you through a little bit of a um, of a preview for both Marquette and UConn, because as I said, I want to make sure you're covered. So we'll talk quickly kind of about these teams before we move forward. So Marquette, those red hot golden Eagles who Villanova will be playing exactly two weeks to the day of their loss at the fin is on Wednesday night. Marquette is sitting at 15 and seven. They followed up their win at the pavilion with wins over Xavier and Seton hall before dropping a fantastic game over the weekend on Sunday at the dunk to Providence, you know, looking at this Marquette team, they usually outscore you. They very normally put up a ton of points. I know they didn't against Villanova, uh, but what they showed is that they can adapt and they can outgrind you as well, which is kind of what happened in that Villanova game where it was not pretty, but Marquette found a way to hold Nova to just 54 points. And of course they won with their 57. Now looking at how this Marquette team attacks, Justin Lewis is the guy, you know, he's the one where I, yes, it, things can be keyed in, keyed in on uh, as Slater's ankle looks to be getting a little better. I wonder how much of a defensive assignment he's going to draw on him. I really think that off the bat, I wouldn't be surprised to see Justin Moore uh, taking a lot of that defensive assignment. Moore has really grown into the defensive side of the ball this year. I, I feel like show after show, we are mentioning how impressed we've been. And here's going to be a really big opportunity for him to step up and and come through when Villanova needs it because Justin Lewis has been torching teams of late. I still can't believe his shot against Providence did not go in on Sunday, which would have tied the game and, and sent it to overtime, but he's got the ability to score a ton of points. He's gone over 30 a couple times this season. You know, of course we know what he did to Nova with the, the game winning shot there with just 15 seconds left or so. So he, he's the one to focus in on, but for, for Marquette and slowing them down, the key is normally eliminating the number two guy for them. Justin Lewis is probably going to hurt you, but if you can at least mitigate what the impact of some of the other players here, Daryl Morsell is one of their older guys. He's been really, really good for Marquette this season. Greg Elliott was the one that in the Nova game had stepped up and, and turned into a strong shooter. He's, that's not normal for Elliott to be able to make that big of an impact. So again, what Villanova is going to have to do here is really look 
to suppress some of the other options here. Uh, I wonder if you see any sort of double teams get drawn onto Justin Lewis. We know Nova normally doesn't like to bring those doubles, but with the talent that we've seen from Lewis and the ability that he has shown throughout this Big E season, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gains or garners that respect at this point. So something to look out for. What Marquette did really, really well in the first game against Villanova was make life difficult on the perimeter. Nova was never able to get into any sort of three-point rhythm. They went just 6 of 24 in that game from beyond the arc. So, you know, you saw some strong perimeter defense there. And then most importantly, I said free throw shooting was going to come up again. And here it is. What Marquette did and why Marquette was able to win that game at the Pavilion was that Villanova went just 4 of 5 from the foul line wait, that didn't, Marquette didn't do anything there. No, of course they did. What they did is they didn't foul Nova, only five free throw attempts there. That is where Villanova piles on teams is when they're able to get into the teens, when they're able to get into the low twenties of free throw attempts, because they are so good, because they are so efficient at it, they are able to really pile on and add in a ton of points. But Nova had five free throw attempts in that game. And that was so key to keeping them to just 54 points. So what I want to see from Villanova is attacking the rim, trying to get fouled and trying to go to the line, because that is something that they can exploit here to try and find a way to get what would be a very, very strong road win uh, here at Pfizer, which is of course a a very, very difficult place to play. The bench was a non-factor as well in that Marquette game. If you go back to that podcast and remember Caleb Daniels played 27 minutes, Brian Antoine, just four Jordan Longino, just two. The question is, how does Jay Wright adapt here? If this is a closer game, it's a question that we had talked about, you know, many, many times. It's difficult to know if Jay is going to revert to the, I'm going to play six guys and the six guys that I trust the most in a close game, or if we're going to see him take those training wheels off and say, I've seen the success of what happens when I stretch my bench out and I'm going to roll with it. And I think that this game on Wednesday nights, certainly the game over the weekend with UConn as well, are going to be two huge opportunities for us to really try and gain an understanding of what he really thinks of this bench and how much trust he really has in them. And if we can then say move into March, knowing that he is going to at least be open to trying to stick with that eight-man rotation that I, I think has helped this team so, so much. One more thing on free throw shooting. If it does come down to it, Villanova coming at in at 82% while Marquette is a 72% foul shooting team. Just something to look at. We'll, we'll see if that ends up playing a role here. As I said, not the only game from this week, this huge week of Villanova basketball, as they do take on the Connecticut Huskies for the first time this weekend at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, it's been discussed before how weird some of this Big E schedule is that two games against DePaul and Xavier have already been played, yet we're coming in here into February. No game against UConn, no game against Providence. Of course, that's going to change very, very quickly, but just a little odd. When you think about it, this will be game two of three at the Wells Fargo Center. Since we haven't seen UConn yet, going to do more of a general look at them just to break things down for you guys. Um, their best win of the season is against Auburn. That now that win now looks even better as, of course, Auburn is the currently the number one team in the country. If you'll remember that game as well, it was the insane game the day before Thanksgiving where they won 115 to 109 in double overtime. In the Big East this season, they have close losses to Seton Hall and Providence, and that is it 
for their losses, otherwise wins over Marquette, St. John's, Butler twice, Georgetown, and DePaul. What does that tell you? It tells you that they have certainly played more of the underbelly of the conference, and they too have a much more of a grind of a schedule coming up. But I'm telling you, this UConn team is really good. Um, They're very, very balanced on offense and defense coming in uh, pretty pretty well in both categories here on Ken Palm, 20th in offense, 29th on defense. If we, if we look at their players, you know, their leaders are RJ Cole kind of from the perimeter and Adama Sonogo from inside the paint. I want to focus on Sonogo just because I am so impressed with Sonogo and I think he's potential to be a Big East player of the year down the line. Uh, this is going to be the best Big East front court Villanova has faced all season. Yes, it's been, it's, it was a nice test going up against Creighton and Kalkbrenner and Hawkins. Yes, you know, Xavier has uh, Zach Fremantle, though we haven't gotten the Fremantle of old yet. This is the best test in the front court for Villanova so far with Adama Sonogo, with a Tyrese Martin, with a Tyler Polly, with an Isaiah Whaley, with an Akuka Cook. There are a ton, a ton of forwards on this UConn team. They can make the paint miserable place to get into. They are very talented, especially Adama Sonogo. As we look at him, Sonogo has made a huge jump this year and year two, doubling his points, almost doubling his rebounds at a high of 30 points this season that came against Auburn really has turned himself into one of, if not the best big men in the big East, along with Nate Watson there at Providence. His kryptonite is that he can certainly get into foul trouble often in the three or fours in fouls. It's risky, but I wonder if Villanova will try and go at him, draw him into those fouls because the best way to get around him is to just get him out of the game and see if he can sit with foul trouble. So we'll see if they're able to try it or if that's part of the game plan. But of course it also gives UConn the opportunity to really exert some dominance down low, which I do think they have the potential for. When I look at this UConn game as well, two things really come to mind. It's of course going to be a massive test for Eric Dixon We've talked about how good Eric has been really all season, especially in Big East play. As I said, this is going to be the the best competition he's really gone up against in conference. So interested to see the impact he makes, especially on the rebounding side, because Villanova is going to need some help. And I'm also really interested in how Jay distributes his minutes here. You know, I, I felt like we're starting to see him play a little smaller as Caleb's minutes continue to go up. You know, you see Samuel's minutes go down a little bit, does he continue along that smaller route? Does Villanova go into this game saying we're going to try and exploit them around the three-point line and really place a ton of emphasis on Gillespie Moore and Daniels trying to burn uh, the Huskies from deep? Or are we going to see more of kind of playing the Samuel Slater Dixon, trying to match up more, uh, you know, wing to wing, forward to forward, however you want to look at it and try to go toe to toe with them. So that's the game planning parts of it. I would like to go in this game small. I'd really like to see a a ton of Caleb Daniels and try to use, exploit the fact that he is such a strong rebounding guard as well as is Justin, as is Colin, but try and make UConn uncomfortable in that way. Uh, I've talked about it many times. I I think UConn is a really rough matchup for this Villanova team. Um, And of the games, these are two great games. We talk about Marquette and UConn. I do think Villanova, you know, is going to come in there to uh, to Wisconsin 
uh, on Wednesday with, with a point to prove I am most interested in this game over the weekend. As impressed I, as I've been with Marquette and all that we've seen with them and how they have established themselves as Big East contenders, I still think the world of this UConn team and how good the Huskies are and can be. And I want to see how Villanova does against just a differently constituted, really talented Big East team. But that's kind of how we're looking at those games. As I take my second sip of water here, we'll do a quick around the Big East. You know, there's not a ton of Big East games this week, especially ones to to really look at. You got Creighton at UConn, which I think is interesting as well, you know, with Creighton. Still trying to figure out fully what they are. I just talked about how good uh, I think UConn is. Providence St. John's on Tuesday night. I point out because I had seen this earlier today, and it's just I I couldn't believe it when I read it. Uh, Providence is a two-point underdog to St. John's. And, you know, we talk about Providence trying to gain respect and the fact they're sitting there at 18 and two. And I understand they're on the road, but to be a two-point underdog to a St. John's team that's sitting there at 11 and eight that just can't get any sort of consistency going. I thought it was a typo when I first read it. I'm not going to lie. So really, really surprised there. You know, if we look back, I, I had already mentioned it where we had some some awesome games in the Big East uh, over the weekend. Of course, it touched on St. John's or St. John's Villanova, shockingly. Um, Providence winning against Marquette, which was just an awesome game where Providence was able to claw this thing back in the second half and then hold on late. It was a ton of fun to watch. Uh, you know, Xavier beat Creighton as well over the weekend. Don't put as much stock in UConn, DePaul, or, or Georgetown Butler. Oh, Georgetown Butler. I did not watch any of that game. <laughs> but that's kind of what we're looking at back. And it, listen, it's another big week in the Big East, but the biggest game of this week is most certainly Villanova-UConn in the entire conference. That leaves us with one more thing. I know we usually don't do a mailbag here on Mondays, and we're not, technically. But uh, there was a question that came in from Brendan Riley last week. It came in after we had finished recording, as we did try to get one a little earlier in uh, from a week ago. And it's just so good. And I think a lot of you will be interested in sharing your opinions as well. So I thought it would be a fun way for me to close my first solo episode after you guys have had to listen to me for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, but his question goes to jerseys. And I know we've talked a lot about honoring jerseys, but this time we're going to talk about ranking jerseys. He wanted me to rank these jersey styles in order that we want to see the team wear them from our standards to the midnight blues, the powder blues, the Georgetown grays, the 70s throwbacks, the 85 throwbacks and the 90s throwbacks. So first off, Brendan, it is a very difficult question um, to try and put all of these, all seven of these into a category here. But I did write them down and I did rank them. The first thing I'll say is that I truly like six of them. The seventh one, I'm not a fan of, and I think it might make a couple people mad, but I just, I, I got to put it out there because I always try and be honest with you guys. So I'll start from the top and work my way down. My absolute favorite, I'm not sure this jersey will ever be topped in my mind, is the 85 throwbacks. If I could show you perfection on any pro- professional or collegiate sports jersey, I would show you the Villanova 85 throwbacks. They are beautiful, uh, just everything about the coloring on it, the lettering, of course, the memories to go with the fact of the 85 championship. 
Then you add in that they wore it a ton in 2018 along that run to the title as well. It's a perfect jersey. Of the jerseys that I have, the one that I really wear is my Jalen Brunson jersey, which is an 85 throwback. So you caught me. You found my favorite one there. For me, nothing tops that. Number two, it might surprise people, but I absolutely love those powder blues that they wore against St. John's uh, on Saturday. I don't know what it is. I have always loved the powder blues. I, I think back to when I was a kid and I was watching the uh, then San Diego Chargers. I had a Ladanian Tomlinson powder blues jersey uh, because I just loved them so much. And so for Villanova to carry that on, I always enjoy watching them in those powder blues. I really do think it's an awesome uniform. Uh, and it, it's one of my favorites. It really is. I always love when they come out. Number three on my list, I went classic here and go with the standard jersey. I do think Villanova has very clean jerseys, whether it be the normal home jersey or the darker blue away. I truly believe that Nova has some of the best uniforms out there, period. Doesn't matter which ones you're looking at. It's always clean. Uh, They're always really nice. I'm a big fan of of basically everything we wear, and I want to give props to the, the standard jerseys as well. At number four for me, I bring in those 70s throwbacks. I think they're cool. I know some people, especially more of the, you know, the newer age Villanova can be a little thrown off by the coloring, but I really, really like them. And I, I think it's it's a nice touch that that Nova brought them back, you know, not all that long ago. I believe the first time they brought them back recently was their win against uh, number one Kansas a couple years ago. Maybe wrong on that, but that's at least the first time recently it's coming in my head. I think they're a nice set of uniforms. So I'll put them in at four at five. I go with the midnight blue. I still find it hysterical that it's called midnight blue and black or midnight blue and not black just with how, of course it it normally looks to us. Uh, It's a cool Jersey set. It's different. I'll put it in there at number five, not one of my favorites, but I, I do enjoy watching them play in that. At six, I went with the Grays. It's been a while since the Grays have come out. I I actually don't remember the last time that they wore the Grays, but you know, you think of Ryan Archidiakno in them, or at least I do when I when I picture those those uniforms. So I put them at six, and then at seven, it's the one I've been afraid to to bring up here. I am not a fan of the '90s the '90s uniforms. I just oh, I I know we think of Kerry Kittles and the great memories that that come with thinking of Kerry Kittles, but that uniform, that logo, it just, it doesn't do it for me. And I am sure I'm going to have alumni coming at me for that, but it is just, it's the one for me. I comfortably put that one at number seven and then had to discuss mentally (laughs) or out out loud sometimes too, uh, the, the next six for me. So that's how I rank those seven jerseys. I think I'll probably throw a, a retweet or something here just to bring this back up to the conversation on our Twitter page. You know, if you want to rank them, let me know what you think of your Jersey rankings. I would love to hear it. Um, bottom line, Villanova's got some really good uniforms. And uh, I think we, uh, no matter, usually no matter what goes out there, it's a pretty clean look. So that's exciting. And before I wrap this thing up, I do want to throw a quick shout out to the women's team as well from Villanova. They are on fire right now. Five game winning streak, dominant win against Xavier. And I cannot mention Villanova women's basketball without mentioning Maddie Segrist, who had her fourth 
30-point game this season, 30 points and nine rebounds. She is such a stud. She is one of the best Villanova women's players to ever do it. And if you have the opportunity to go watch the, the Villanova women this year, please go out and support because their, their games are a ton of fun. But okay, that will do it. Uh, first time going solo uh, for anyone that, that made it through to here. Thank you for sticking with me. Uh, I do really appreciate it. And I hope that it was uh, it was good enough and enjoyable for everyone out there. But as I said, that will do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. Be sure to check out VU hoops for your recap on St. John's couple takeaways as well from the Johnny's game. We'll get you, get you ready for Marquette and UConn and what is a massive, massive week for Villanova basketball. But as I said, you know, we are done here. So be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and follow us on Twitter at S O N N pod. I will be back at it next Tuesday. Remember no show on Thursday. Hope everyone enjoys this huge game. These huge games this week against Marquette and UConn. Anyone that can get out to Wells Fargo this weekend, be great to get there. I'm looking forward to making my return to Wells Fargo for the first time in a couple of years. going to be awesome. And with that, Nova Nation, that's a wrap. <laughs>